Well, it's a Sunday after Easter. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is still alive? He's still alive, guys. This is why we're here together today. And uh, I, I would hope, that, you know, I, I will say this, the day that we, especially Resurrection Sunday, we focus on that is, man, I, I'm going to be honest, it's my favorite week of the year. That being said, let us never forget that we serve a resurrected king today. And I, I think when I look at all the events leading up to the, to the crucifixion, then obviously the resurrection, one, one of the things that stands out to me the most is the final conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in which he said to them something that had to be mind-blowing. He said, it is good for you that I go away. Because if I go away, then the Father will send, and he introduces the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he walks, he, he just unpacks in John 14 through 16 who the Holy Spirit is and what he will be doing. And that's important because today, as we jump into this new series called Bury the Hatchet, we're going to be talking about something that I think for us to, to truly address and for us to truly grasp, and I would even say go this far, for us to, to really fully embrace requires coming back to what we just sang. It's something we have to do in Christ alone. And here's the beautiful thing, the, the same the same power, the same person that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, dwells with us. He dwells within us. And, and so the Apostle Paul, as he is teaching his, you know, as he's teaching the early church in, in his epistles, he keeps on coming back to there are two ways that we walk. We either walk according to the flesh or we walk according to the Spirit. Well, today I want to I talk about something that I think literally requires the Spirit of Christ living within us, if, if we're truly going truly to be able to grasp this. And we're going to be dealing with this, what I believe is one of the biggest struggles for any person, but not just unbelievers. I think this is also a huge struggle for, un, for believers. Every child of God at some point has wrestled with unforgiveness. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be breaking this down. So where we're going to be going, I, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philemon. And so Philemon is a, is a little, in fact, it's the shortest letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And if you're like, man, I have no idea where that's at, um, like go to Hebrews and go back a book. It's right before the book of Hebrews and, and you'll be able to find it. And you're like, well, I've got a phone and my Bible's on the phone, you cheater. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But just, just we're going to jump into this over the next several weeks, and we're going to be breaking this down. No, no, actually, let me do this um, while you're turning there. When I, when I graduated from high school, I worked for uh, a few years with, for a mechanical engineering company, and I, I did an apprenticeship with them. We did a, a what's called air balance, water balance. We would work, you know, universities, really commercial. Uh, we'd work universities, prisons, um, hospitals, that sort of thing. Well, I, I, one particular day, I'd looked at our schedule for the next week. It was on a weekend. I was looking at where we were going next week, and I saw that we were scheduled for a job at, um, I, don't, I can't remember, the, there's an exact name for it, and I, I should have looked it up. It's, it's like the Indiana State Mental Health Hospital. And, and so I had, I had never been around people that are, are dealing with severe psychiatric issues and, and that sort of thing. And so I want to be really clear as I'm, as I'm, I'm going to share my account. In, in no way am I meaning to demean, uh, you know, 
make fun or anything like that. I just want to talk about an experience that I think will set the, the, the stage for where we're going in this message. Um, my, my first day on the job, I started working in a unit, and I was introduced to a lady. I never did get her name other than she just was with me everywhere. And it wasn't that, like, she worked there. She was institutionalized there. And and so the she she everywhere she went she she had her, her her nylons down at her ankles and so I would actually hear her before I saw her because she would shuffle when she walks and so so the, the first day I'm not thinking much of it but literally every time I was working I would I, she was either standing right next to me or right behind me and she never the entire time I was there never said a word she never said she was just right there. And so, I mean, you know, first day, it was just kind of, you know, kind of odd. We, you know, we get in the van on the way home. I'm kind of, you know, I thought it was kind of funny. But then, like, the second and third day, it's like, okay, I'm still, it freaks me out a little bit. She's right there. I mean, you, you know, you, come on. You guys know what it's like when you have your little kids, and they will never give you a moment's peace. And, like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you go in the bathroom, you close the bathroom door and it's just because you want to get away. And then you see, like, the fingers coming underneath the door. You know what I'm talking about, parents. You guys have all been there. It was almost that same feeling that just, I mean, literally right there into the place where, honestly, it, it just made me a little uncomfortable. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, we've got, it was either a week or two weeks. I can get through this. I can get through this. And we made it through. I, I got to my last, uh, my last day there. And I, I was already like, okay, man, we're going to get through this. We're going to be fine. And by the way, I'm going to tell you why. I have a great appreciation, man, for people that serve, that literally minister. And, and I, I, that genuinely is so cool how God uses people. And I watched the orderly treat them with grace and respect. And it was awesome. But I wasn't there yet. And so what, when, when it was my last day. I'm like, I'm going to make this. And so, so I go in, and sure enough, as soon as I walk in the unit, she's right there. First couple hours I'm working, like, okay, I had to go get a tool, went out to the van, picked up the tool. And I'm going to be honest with you, I just kind of stayed out there for a second. I'm like, i got to breathe, man. Like, and there are like two ways to enter the unit, and I'd gone out this, this way. And I'm like, I know it's stupid. She's, she's going to find me, but I'm going to go in a different way. And so I went in a different way, and sure enough, she was parked by the door waiting for me to walk in. And as soon as she saw me, she, she just started shuffling right toward me. And I know it's weird because I'm not like a person that freaks out or panics or anything. But literally, all of a sudden, man, I just, oh, I got to get away. And I saw a room off to the, the, the side. And I'm like, I'm just going to go in there for a second, shut the door, just so I can catch my breath. I walked in and I started to shut the door. And what I mean by started to shut the door, the reason why I only started was I, I started to shut the door and realized as I'm in there and the door is closing, I had walked inside a padded cell. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating whatsoever. The door, I tried to grab the door. Couldn't I grab without smashing my finger? The door clanked shut and I was locked in. <laughs> And so, so I'm, I'm I, man, I'm, you think I was unnerved before. I'm really unnerved now. And I'm, 
you know, it's padded. I'm, I'm pounding the door. I'm kicking the door, trying to get somebody to, to get their attention. Well, this was before cell phones, right? I didn't have a cell phone. My boss was in another unit. He has no idea what's going on. At this particular time, I, there was not an orderly inside. So the, the room only had one window, and it was the window. It, it's similar to, it was a little about half the size of the windows that we have in our back doors. There. It's a skinny window. And, and so I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking for somebody to help me out. As I'm looking out, to my shock, all of a sudden, the person that I got in the room to escape, her face fills the window. And guys, I don't know how long I was locked inside there. I really don't. It was probably just a few minutes or so. It felt like eternity. And here's what you can know. She never moved. She, the entire time, never said a word, just stared at me. I literally went and stood beside the door where I could not see her looking in at me. Here's my thing. Vince, at some point, they let me out. Obviously, I'm here. Um, you know, I'm not still there. Probably should have been after that. But, um, but, I, but I, I, as I was preparing this week for this message, I was, I was reminded of that, uh, that event. It's something I, I'll never forget. And honestly, never hope that I, I, I never hope to experience that ever again. But as we jump into this series, Bury the Hatchet, I, I have a feeling that some of you figuratively can get this, this analogy that I just used. For weeks, months, maybe, maybe years, you've been, not physically, but in a lot of other different ways, you've been locked inside a cell. And the only face that you see in this prison that you're in is the face of a person that sinned against you, that wronged you, that, that hurt you in some way. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be breaking this down. And so just listen to me where we're going today. This is not going to be like a cop show or like law and order episode where, you know, here's the crisis. De detectives find the person, they try them, and then, and then we wrap it up with a nice bow at the end of the message. That's not going to be today. Like, we're going to walk away feeling maybe a little tension today. Because, first of all, this isn't something that we, that literally even in four messages we're going to fully, you know, be able to dive into. But today I just want to lay the foundation. And what I want to address today is a, is a question that, that helps us as we look at Philemon. And um, the question is this. If you want to take notes, you can write this down. Um, how can I forgive what I can't forget? How, how can I forgive what I can't forget? Many of us have been in prison far too long. And I'm just going to go ahead and lay all my cards out on the table here at the very beginning. This is a message, yes, if you are here as an unbeliever, I, I do believe you're going to be able to benefit from some of the things I'm going to share, but this primarily is to sons and daughters of God. Jesus, has. you know that you've been saved thanks to the work of Christ. He is Lord, but at the same time, you wrestle with this, okay? So I'm, I'm speaking to believers today. And, and the reason why I'm doing this is because we're going to be looking at, as a launch pad, this letter 
that Paul wrote to a guy by the name of Philemon. Now, I'll give you a little background. Philemon, uh, if, you, if you read the first several verses, the first seven verses, um, he's a good guy. Um, he's, a, he's a Roman citizen who is saved. God changed his life. Um, he, he's a man of some means. But what, what we see is, is that he, he wasn't just changed. He loves. He loves others. In fact, Paul says that you've refreshed me. You've encouraged me in times past. He, he, hosts, he and his wife host a, a church there in their home. And, um, and what we see is he, he's a man who not only has faith, but he shares his faith. He's, he's not, he's, this isn't an unbeliever that Paul's writing to. But, but, but there's, an, there's an issue that has, has come up, and this is why Paul is addressing this. And so let's, let's jump in. Let's, let's begin with, with verse 8 um, and, and just see, see where we're at. Uh, according, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer, prefer to appeal to you. Let me just pause. The reason why Paul is saying this, Paul was, was either the one who directly led him to the Lord or was, at the very least, one very influential in him coming to the Lord uh, and in the founding of the church that he's part of. So just to give you a little context there. Paul's saying, as a spiritual father, you know, I could come in hard, guns blazing, command you to do this, but for love's sake, I want to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. So you got to know this is actually towards the end of Paul's life. Before he's going to be executed uh, here in a few years by, uh, I say years, we don't know exactly, but probably two or three years by Nero, Emperor Nero. He's older in age, and he said, I'm, I'm coming to you now. I appeal to you for my child, and we're introduced to a new character here, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as, and now we have another detail that gives us some clarity here, as a bondservant or a slave. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so Paul, Paul's appealing from love, but he's put a little pressure here. So if you would consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say... It sounds like my mom. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. I went through the jaws of death for you, Keith. You got it. No, you know, yeah, we, we've said that to our kids. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. And then he shares his final greetings. Now, little letter, we literally, like, if, if we go home, you can tell people, it's like, man, we went, th we read an entire book of the Bible today in church. You just, we just read through an entire book of the Bible, right? But, but for the next four weeks, we're going to be, we're going to be breaking this down, and, and so we're going to be looking at this dynamic that exists between Philemon and Onesimus. So let's talk about Onesimus. Who is he? Onesimus is a slave 
one of the many slaves that were part of the Roman Empire. Now, here's, here's what we have to understand. In the context in which the, the, the church is founded, in this social setting, the church lived with slavery. It was a very real thing. It was a way of life. For us, looking back, slavery, how could anybody ever accept, accept this? Why doesn't Paul just address the problem with slavery? Well, he, well, here's the thing. Many times we accept things, we're just conditioned. We don't know what's going on. And so this is, you got to understand that under Rome, Rome was part of, part of the, the bounty they would collect from their conquered territory were slaves. Now, part of what founded the Roman army uh, were patrons, private citizens who would, who would give money. And it was literally, it was like, you know, investing in stocks. There would be a return on your investment. So, so for instance, like the, the bounty that's, that's collected from the, you know, the territories that are conquered and all that sort of thing. I don't know what just happened here. The lights went out. So, um, well, what did I hit, God? I don't know where I was going with that. But, uh, but yeah, what, what would happen is they would actually, um, part of that would be, the bounty would be slaves would be sold, and the proceeds of that would be sold to pay some of these, uh, some of these patrons. Okay, so we've got this issue. Uh, you know, Onesimus is, is going to be one of these, these slaves. Now, what we, what we have to understand as we read through, you've got to have a little background with, with Roman history, is that slaves... It wasn't just like they were uneducated, unskilled, because Rome, Rome's territory was massive. They were a powerful empire, one of the most powerful of all history, if you study, if you study any, of, any of that. And so when they would conquer territory, they, they weren't just bringing back the unskilled and the, the uneducated. They were bringing back those who were highly skilled, highly educated. And many times these slaves were, giving, were, were given positions of honor within a household where, you know, for instance, Galatians, Paul uses an analogy that was common in that day of a slave who was, who was really a surrogate parent to children. They would take care of, of sons and daughters, would raise them. That, that was very common. Many times these slaves would, would be household managers. And so while, while there were maybe some benefits, the reality is they were still a slave. They, they did not have freedom. And so what, what, you know, as we, as we, as we study uh, the context of, of the early church, many times in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll see this again in Galatians, the Apostle Paul talks about that the church is made up of Jew and Greek, those of Roman descent. He, he'll also say it's, it's made up of those who are rich and poor. He also says of slave and free. There are all kinds of people who are part of the church. And so this, this church that is part of the household of, of Philemon was probably very similar to what we see indicated in other of, of Paul's letters. It was a very diverse group. And so whether or not Onesimus was part of this congregation, um, we, we don't know that for sure, or at the very least, the people that worshiped with Philemon would have known that something had happened. Because there's a reason why Paul is writing this letter, and he addresses it not just to Philemon. It's not just mano a mano. He addresses it to Philemon, his wife, his son, and the church that's there. So it's something that the entire church is aware of. There's an, there's an issue here that he wants to address. And so, so, so here's, here's, here's what I want us to, to wrap our, our mind around. He has been tested. But it's, but it's, not, just, it's not just that, you know, there, there's an issue here that, that has to be addressed. Onesimus has run away, and it would it, it appear since, you know, Paul is offering to make restitution that 
either he's stolen something, there's something of value that has, has been taken. Whatever the case, what we miss many times is what we see in verse 12. There's a very good chance as we read this that the person who handed the letter to Philemon was Onesimus himself. It wasn't just that Paul sent a letter about Onesimus. He sent Onesimus, the one who had wronged Philemon, with the letter and confronted with the one who had caused the pain. Philemon reads this letter. He has to address this. It's interesting because at this stage in life, what we know is during the season, while he's in prison, there that Paul wrote at least two letters, Colossians and, uh, and, and this book of Philemon. In fact, if you read Colossians, it says that that letter was also delivered by the hand of Ones- uh, by Onesimus along with two other guys. And so Philemon has a choice that he has to make. He reads this letter. And, and it's interesting, as Paul introduces him to the issue here and, and he pleads with him to address this issue, he does so not on the basis of Philemon's rights as a Roman citizen because he had rights. He, he challenges him and takes him back to his standing in Christ. And there are three pillars today. We're just going to introduce the three pillars that, that we see introduced here in Philemon that anchor biblical Christian forgiveness. And the first pillar that we see here is honesty. When, when Paul writes this letter, he does not mince words. He does not try to act like there's more to this, you know, that, that it's not that big of a deal. No, Paul hits this straight on. Philemon's been wronged. What happened here was, was a bad thing. He was sinned against. You know, a lot of times we think forgiveness is the same thing as forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We have to honestly address what took place. Ignoring something, pretending like something never happened, downplaying it, stuffing it, literally does not lead to forgiveness. We can't forgive what we don't address. And, and so what he does is he honestly and openly deals with the problem. You know, I think a lot of times when, when it comes to forgiveness, we've kept ourselves in prison and the only face that we see is the, the person that has wronged us, that has sinned against us. And I'm going to guess that if there are those of you that know what I'm talking about right now, there's a situation that comes to your mind. What you would have to say is that whatever the, the, the case is, this, this prison that, that you find yourself in obsessing over what's been wrong, it's changed you in some way. You, you, see, you see, it always changes us in some way. The, the, the person that might be, that, that feels like, man, they're a strong person. They're, they're a healthy person, maybe even somewhat a carefree person. When they find themselves faced with a situation, there has been harm done. Man, it, it results in, in somebody they're not. There's anxiety that, that, it's like, where did that come from? You know, what's a panic attack? It begins to change us, even the, the way we respond to people. There's an anger, there's a harshness. There's a, there's, it's, it's, I don't know how to say this, I've, I've been there. But sometimes the, the word that I describe, it's, there's a heaviness. It's, it's, there is a weight. It, it just seems like I, I, am, I am, 
I can't even see my way forward. The optimism of tomorrow is, is clouded by the obsession with what has taken place in the past. The sin, and, and here's the thing, you have been sinning against And so Paul addresses this. Because what, what I'm sure he would know, just like we know, is that the outflow of this is, is not a pretty thing. It's that, you know, many times cynicism results when, when we don't address this. This is many, you know, cynical people cared at one time. Cynical people cared at one time. And then when you were burnt, then you're like, man, listen, here's how I'm going to protect myself. I'm not going to get my hopes up. If I don't trust, I, if I don't trust as much, I can't be hurt as much. And there's, there's a cynicism, there's a, there's a root of bitterness and that, that, that is, it's almost like Satan can get this foothold and becomes a stronghold in our life. It's a bitterness. We obsess over every single detail. We can tell you every detail of the wrong and we, we can, you know, we'll vindicate ourselves and at the same time point out to the person, this is, this, this is why this was, was an issue. And it just begins to consume us. It obsesses us. It, it develops into this resentment in which I want you to hurt as much as I hurt. It's this, it's this desire for vengeance that, that begins to consume us. And, 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 and a person, we, we were healthy before. All of a sudden, man, our, our life comes to a screeching halt and, and we're paralyzed, unable to move forward. Any of you ever read the, the book by Charles Dickens, Great Expectations? Okay, I, like I was 10 or 11, and I got the flu, and it was like a really bad case of flu. I was homesick for like a week, and I'd read like every book in our house, and I found my mom's old high school English literature book, and I'm like, I haven't read that. I'm going to read that. I'm like, yeah. that's how sick I was. And I, I read through, I was just captivated by this book. And, and so if you, if, if you haven't read the book, it's, you know, the, there's, a, there's a main character, Pip, and I'm not going to get into his issues, but the, one of the, the most fascinating characters in any book that I've ever written is Miss Havisham. And Miss Havisham was engaged to be married, and on her wedding day at 8.40 a.m., she was given a letter, she's getting ready, she's in her wedding dress, given a letter, and, and the groom-to-be calls off the wedding. She's jilted almost at the altar. And so the, her response to what took place was she stops all of the clocks at 8.40. Every clock in the house says 8.40. She never changes out of her wedding dress. She always wears her wedding dress. Her, her, her table is set for the wedding dinner. She never changes out the table. Literally, her life ended at 8.40 a.m. on her wedding day when she was jilted. And you can read that, and the reason why I think it's so fascinating even today is because life has told me, and I've learned that many times when we do not deal honestly and openly with the issue, our life stops at the moment of the pain and we will not move forward. We're in that padded cell. The door is locked in the face of what we tried to escape, what locked us in there, it's all we can see. And so Paul addresses this openly, honestly. In fact, he says, Onesimus was useless to you. He was useless to you. He wronged you. Hey, listen, for no other reason, we're going to break this down later, but, I, but I'm willing to make restitution myself for what he's done. He did not ignore the issue. He validated the wrong, but he also presented the choice that he had to make. And, and literally, th this, this comes to the second pillar that, that we see here, and it's this word humility, humility. Because again, Philemon has rights 
He, he can have Onesimus punished harshly. Now, there were, Roman, there were Roman rules in which in most situations you could not kill a slave, but you sure could punish a slave. There was all, there's all kinds of things, if you'll read through Roman, uh, Roman law, that they could do to punish a runaway slave, especially someone who had wronged them. He had rights. But what Paul did was he did not take him back to his rights. He took him back to his identity in Christ. He, re, he reminded him of who he was in Christ. He reminded him of, here's who I have found you to be. Here's what I've seen from you. Here's who you are. And he appealed to him, not on the basis of his rights, but he appealed to him on the basis of the grace he had received. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this right now. The hardest part about forgiveness is its unfairness. Because what God calls us to do in forgiving is not fair. And I want to just say something. Maybe you never thought about this. God is not fair. You're like, oh, that's heresy. What are you doing? That's terrible. No, God isn't fair. If God was fair, there is not a single one of us that would experience salvation. We were destined for wrath, but God, I love Ephesians chapter 2, but God, who being rich in mercy, he did for us through Christ what we could not do for ourselves. Don't tell me that God is fair. He is not fair. He's just, but he's also gracious. And what I love is that God provides a remedy that we don't have, not just in our salvation, but I would also say in our ongoing sanctification, in the process by which we become more like Jesus Christ. And one of those areas is going to be forgiveness. Listen to me, church. I am not preaching a message just because I, I want to preach about unforgiveness. Now listen, I know that this is a struggle for us. This is legit. This might be the toughest battle that some of you will ever face. But what we have to be able to do We've got to get back to the place to where we humble ourselves and we surrender our rights for justification and we surrender and we allow God to define what forgiveness and justice looks like in this situation. It's not fair. Did you know scripture has a lot to say about forgiveness? In fact, if you've got some spare time this week, don't first go to Netflix I want you to go, there's this website called openbible.info.info, and, and it's just a, a way where you can, you can find out, it's like a topical Bible. Type in forgiveness, and look at all of the scriptures that just, just I mean, it's just, it's almost overwhelming. There's a reason why God deals with this, because he knows that sin plagues the human condition. Dude, we, we've got issues. And, and because of this, forgiveness isn't something that, that we can only receive. It's something that we must grant. In fact, Paul, in a, in, a, in a letter that was written about the same time, like I said to Colossians, said in Colossians 3.13, forgive just as Christ has forgiven you. Jesus, you know what Jesus said about forgiveness? We're going to break this down in further detail next week. But in Matthew 6.15, after teaching them how to pray, the Lord's Prayer, he says in, in 6.15, Matthew 6.15, if, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And you're like, that's not fair. Yeah, I get that. 
Forgiveness, this is, this is hard, but I want you to listen to me. Forgiveness is not optional for the believer. Forgiveness is not optional for the child of God. But what we have to understand is when we are commanded to forgive, we gotta remember who it is that's, that is, is asking this of us, who is commanding this of us. It's not a God who is just giving some static command, hey, I'm gonna show you who, that I'm large and in charge. No, it's, it's, this is God who he's referred to as, as the God of all comfort. He, he's referred to as, as the father of compassion. In fact, Paul himself writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as he's recounting some of the crazy things that he has suffered and he's telling them you are going to suffer says this in verse 3 of chapter 1 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies the God listen of all comfort who comforts us in our our, our affliction and he's talking again suffering and, and part of this is being wrong that he's referring to, if you, if, if you read the context, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And I, man, I, th- this is huge. He comforts us so that we have an appreciation for others that are going to find themselves in that same position that we find ourselves in, who have been wronged, who have been sinned against, who has somebody that I get where you're at. It, but this comes from the God of all comfort. Not, not, he's just not called the God of compassion, the God of comfort. He's referred to as the healer. I love, I love uh, the, the, the Psalm, Psalm 147 in, in which we're introduced to him as the healer. One, Psalm 147.3, I love this verse. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God heals. And, and if we could grasp this, we, we take a step of obedience and forgiveness even when it's not fair. Even when it's not fair. But God does the healing We don't heal, but our obedience allows healing to take place. God will heal. Here's what I found across the years. Unforgiveness does not bring healing. Bitterness does not bring healing. Unforgiveness has never mended a wounded heart. Unforgiveness has never allowed someone to step out into into the light from prison. No, his call to forgive is not for the benefit of the person who has sinned and wronged. It's not letting them off the hook. No, there is a vengeance that, that we have to trust God with, but it's humility allowing God to handle this, trusting him with it. Forgiveness is, listen to me, church, it's the only way forward. And, and, and man, I, I, I wish I could individually, I can't do this, I wish I could take the, the chains off. I wish I could bring healing myself. I cannot. But here, can I, just listen to me. God wants to do more than just heal your soul. He wants to heal your body. He wants to heal your mind, your emotions. Literally, God wants to heal all of us. Forgiveness is part of walking into freedom, and it's difficult. 
It's gross and it hurts. But what Paul is saying, he, he breaks this down. He, he hits it honestly, and honesty is a big part of this. Humility is part of this, letting God define it. But then the third one is, is what, where we're going to break down next week, and it's release. Where we don't, just, we don't just agree with God up here, but where we literally let whatever it is go. And I, w- I want to make sure that you understand this, and, and I- I'll be very clear, because what we're going to look at over the next few weeks, you know, today we're just laying the foundation, next week we're going to be talking about the application, how do we do this, how do we release, what's this look like? I- I'm going to be addressing spiritual abuse and spiritual manipulation, gaslighting, all that sort of thing that happens. We're, we're just going to hit that, because there are, man, there are, there are sins, and-, and many times, just because we forgive does not mean the sin stops, just, just so you know. But then the, the, the fourth part that we're going to talk about, I want to make sure we understand what the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and, and figuring that out. But, but today, as, as I close, this whole thing of release is, is not letting the offender off the hook. It's trusting God with the rest of the story. Trusting God with the consequences. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. God has wrath. In fact, there are times where the wounded soul, you need to just go to the book of Psalms. You need to read through the heartfelt cries of of people who have been hurt, who have been wounded, who do not understand what is going on. There are times where it's really honest, like where David writes, Lord, would you break up their teeth? I'm like, dude, that is my man right there. I just like, I just, I can, I'll, I'll pray that verse. But what we see when we're reading through the word is, is it never minimizes the difficulty of forgiveness. It just talks about the significance of forgiveness for the person beloved. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know what forgiveness is? It's nothing more than an act of worship. In fact, if you don't hear anything else I say, let me just, this is the foundation, write this down. It's easy to say, it's hard to live. Forgiveness is the key to freedom. And there are a lot of you today that are not free. I mean, my heart hurts. It's not that it just hurts for you. Listen, I wrestle with this. I've been there. There there was a season in my life in which, man, I had to walk a road in which bitterness, I'd like to say that it was just a foothold, but it became a stronghold and began to, to change me. And God took me on a journey. And I, I'm not saying that even to this day that there aren't times in which the temptation to pick that back up is there. It's, it's real. But I want us to understand something as we close. Forgiveness is an act of worship. And here's what I mean by that. We see forgiveness as being a horizontal action only in which we release something against this person. And to a degree, yes, 
Perhaps that's true, but that's not the, that's actually a small part of this. Before, there's, before there are ever horizontal implications, forgiveness first is a vertical act of obedience in which with God, we worship him. And what, what does it mean to worship? It's not singing songs. It's not just me preaching a message or having a time of prayer. Worship is nothing more than acknowledging, not just with words, but with all that we are, that you're in control and you're, you're God. And literally what happens when we forgive, it's, it's an act of, it, it's a sacrifice of praise. It's interesting, a sacrifice that was made in the Old Testament and the, in the sacrificial system, something had to die for either forgiveness to be granted, for the favor of God to be restored, whatever the case happens to be. When it comes to forgiveness, something has to die for that to be possible. And here's what has to die. What has to die is me being the one that makes the rules and controls the outcome. Forgiveness is an act of bowing the knee saying, God, it's not fair, but I'm giving it to you and I'm trusting you. Now, God, if you'd knock out the teeth, I'd be fine with that, but I'm giving it to you. Forgiveness is an act of worship, but it's the key to freedom. And so as we close the day, I want to pray for you because there are some legitimately you have been wronged. You've been sinned against. It is real. We gotta, we gotta call sin what it is. Some of you here today, you're dealing with the baggage associated with it. There are hurts, there are wounds. Listen, I'm not even saying that forgiveness immediately takes care of all the wounds and the pain. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's a journey that we're gonna take. It's a, literally a journey of faith. That's why I say it's, it's gonna be one of the, it's probably one of the most difficult journeys you'll ever take as a believer. But, but I, I just wanna hold out this hope. God wants to do more than just save us. He wants to and can free us. But that requires us letting go and letting him be God. So what I want to do, would you do me a favor and just bow your heads and close your eyes? And, you know, like if you're in a church, they do this like, yeah, I'm the one that does not have to bow my head and close my eyes. Listen, do me a favor. Everybody, close your eyes because I want to ask a very personal question. This morning, if you're like, man, I, I want to forgive. I don't even know how to start that journey maybe. But... I want to start this journey. It starts, first of all, with your acknowledgement that you know a journey needs to be taken. And if you'd be willing to say, Keith, would you pray for me this week that I would start this journey towards letting God have this? Would you just raise up your hand? Just raise up your hand. Raise up your hand. Okay. Your hand's all over this place. God, you know the hurt behind every hand? I don't. You know the story? I don't. God, one thing I do know is I know that you're a God who has compassion, a God who has love, but a God who asks us for worship. And part of that worship is letting you be God, not just in areas that we're fine, you controlling, but in areas that we want to hold on to. And so God, I'm just praying that over the next few weeks as we work through this letter that Paul wrote that 
we would explore this. And I'm praying there would be more. We'd walk away with, without, with more than just agreeing with what we read. But Lord, I'm praying that we would surrender. And God, that you would begin a work of forgiveness in the lives of people who have been wronged. And our God, that you would bring healing. I don't know what that's going to look like. But God, we want to trust you with it. So Father, for what you've done today in our time together, for what you will do as we continue to follow you, we thank you for this. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Well, guys, I'm so glad that you're here. Next week, we're going to be breaking down. How do we release this? What's it look like? Come back. We're going to, we're going to dive in. But man, I hope you guys have a great week. I'll see you tonight. Step four of Next Steps, 4 p.m. You're dismissed. Have a great week.